This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. In this edition of the Oncogene Brief, we talk with Dr. Salman Haider. Dr. Haider is professor in tumor angiogenesis and professor of biomedical sciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine and the Dalton Cardiovascular Research Center at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. Together with a team of researchers, Dr. Haider found that a combination drug therapy reduces the spread of triple negative breast cancer to other locations of the body by 50%. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncosim Brief. A breast cancer cell is like a house with three locks on the front door. Keys or receptors allow drugs to unlock the door and kill the cancer. However, in triple negative breast cancer, these keys are absent, thereby resulting in only a few options for drug therapy. Until now. A protein called P53 suppresses and kills cancer cells in people. However, in contrast, a defective mutant form of P53 helps cancer cells grow and multiply. Triple negative breast cancer lacks ways to treat the cancer with hormone therapies or anti-HER2 targeted therapies. While chemotherapy can work well in triple negative breast cancer, and the patients may even respond better to chemotherapy than some other types of breast cancer, these drugs are toxic and non-specific. Dr. Haider and his team wanted to see if a new combination of anti-cancer drugs could provide a new, non-toxic, targeted approach for treatment. The Oncuzine Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal, Oncuzine, at www.oncuzine.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. Let's listen to our interview with Dr. Salman Haider. Dr. Haider, welcome to the Oncogene Brief. Thank you. So uh, before we're going to talk a little bit about the drugs that you are developing, treatments um, that may come out of uh, some of the exciting research that you're working on, and before we're going to talk about the presentation that you've given for the endocrine meeting in New Orleans earlier this year, tell me a little bit about your background. So I uh, am a professor in biomedical sciences at the University of Missouri in Columbia, my PhD is in uh, cancer research from uh, University of Glasgow in Scotland, and that's where I gain interest in cancer research, which I'm continuing. I've done this for the last 30 years. So when you look at cancer research, cancer is a very, very wide field, very big field. Are there areas in cancer research uh, you concentrate on? I mean, th- th- things that really stand out as something, okay, well, this is exciting. I would like to focus on that. Yes. So... Um, my main focus is on endocrine-dependent cancers. That is, the hormone-dependent cancers like breast cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian cancer. But my major interest is in breast cancer area because that's where I've done most work. So this was from my times when I completed my PhD at Glasgow to now. I've been continuing mostly in breast cancer area. Now, breast cancer is also a very complex area. Uh, you have a number of uh, different forms of breast cancer. Now, one of the breast cancers, and actually you presented that uh, during the endocrine meeting in uh, New Orleans, has to do with a cancer called triple negative breast cancer. 
For our audience, uh, can you explain what triple negative breast cancer is? Yes, so um, triple negative, most, most breast cancers, about 70% of them are hormone dependent. That means they have estrogen receptor uh, or progesterone receptor and also a protein called HER2 new. Uh, and these three proteins are the targets of various uh, different therapies. Unfortunately, the triple negatives do not have either estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor or a protein called HER2 new. So they cannot be targeted with specific approaches. So triple negative, they call triple negative because they lack three different proteins that we know can be targeted with existing therapies. So when you, when you look at this lack of those uh, so-called targets, that means that the treatment also require, needs to be different. Yes, absolutely. So, for example, most people would know a drug called tamoxifen, which is used against estrogen receptor. And so, so if a woman, 70% of ladies have, who have breast cancer have estrogen receptors, they can be treated with anti-estrogens. But triple negatives lack all those proteins that can be targeted. So they have to be uh, given some non-specific types of therapies. When you talk about non-specific target of therapies, are, are these chemotherapies? Is that a regular chemotherapy? What kind of therapies are these? Yes, regular chemotherapies. Uh, but if you ha if the women women have one of those three proteins, it can be actually uh, targeted towards a specific approach, like with tamoxifen against estrogen receptor. But in triple negatives, those proteins are lacking, so they cannot be. So they have to go with regular kind of chemotherapies, not specific types of chemotherapies. Now, does that also mean that um, from a treatment perspective, that a, a triple negative breast cancer is more difficult to treat than, for example, one of the other uh, forms of breast cancer? So relatively, yes, they, they are a little bit more difficult to treat, but that does not mean that they cannot be treated. It just means that their approach is different and they're a little bit more aggressive in nature, So the triple negatives. So when you look at that, and, and most, for example, you refer to HER2, there is a genetic or an hereditary component to breast cancer. If you look at triple negative breast cancer, and, and in some cases that, that um, really leads people to make very drastic uh, decisions about how they would like to look at, um, at breast cancer or even try to prevent getting breast cancer, Now, when you yes. look at uh, triple negative breast cancer, is there, just like the other forms of breast cancer, is there an hereditary or genetic component? So there is some evidence now that there could be. For example, uh, there's a marker called BRCA. Some, some call it BRCA, BRCA1, BRCA2. If that protein is missing, there's a better chance that you will get triple negative cancer. It's not a definite, but there's a chance that that might be the case. So there is now, with the increasing genetic uh, uh, evaluations, there is, there is now appearing to be a component, a genetic hereditary component toward triple negative breast cancer, but there's no surety at, as such at the, at the present time. Right. Now, and again, when you look at that, I mean, whether there's a genetic component or not a genetic component, one of the things you hear is that... Um, Doctors fear or patients seems to fear triple negative breast cancer much more so than another forms of breast cancer. Yes. You, you hear stories that they say, well, if you have triple negative breast cancer, that is a guaranteed death sentence. Um, 
Is that true or are, are they overdoing it a little bit? Or is there that fear that uh, a triple negative breast cancer has a lower life expectancy associated with it or it's more difficult to treat in that respect? Okay, so I think let's just clarify one thing that if, if a woman hears that she has triple negative breast cancer, she should not be distressed. There are treatment options for, for the ladies. The problem is that the triple negatives appear to be a little bit more aggressive and they, they recur. And if they recur, it's very difficult to treat them. But that does not mean that they will for sure recur. If they recur, there's a problem. But if it doesn't recur, um, that means their survival rates can be increased. Uh, so this idea about triple negative being death sentence, sentence is, is not true, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, it just causes a lot of distress in, in ladies when they hear this, but I, I think they should not be distressed with this triple negative uh, label. Right. Now, when you, when you look at, at, um, at cancer in general, one of the biggest concerns, um, and you mentioned that maybe a cancer can recur, uh, how frequent is that, for example, in, 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 in breast cancer and triple negative breast cancer? How frequent if you compare that with other cancers? And should we be worried about that, other than, than the fact that it, it may be more difficult to treat? There is a, if, if the tumor is, is detected at a very late stage, let's say stage three, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a chance that it will recur. And uh, one of the main reasons is that when you start treating these patients, uh, you, I don't know if we can go into this uh, technical detail, but there's things called stem cells mm -hmm. that survive. And they seem to survive more in triple negative breast cancers than uh, most other types of cancers because there's no targeted approach to kill those. So uh, they might recur because of that reason. And that is what actually led to our research that we will talk about in, in, in a few minutes. Right. Now, talking about that research, because that's really something that we we'll probably be able to do uh, a little bit more in depth after the break. But um, yes. when, when when we look at um, uh, triple negative breast cancer, also other forms of cancer, one of the concerns, uh -huh. and I think that you've been working on that, is, is the case of uh, metastasis. Uh, the fact that a cancer can spread beyond the yes. what they call the primary cancer. There are certain new developments in that, in the way you look at how to uh, prevent or how to treat um, or how maybe how to stop this, the, the metastasis of cancer, how, basically making sure that the cancer doesn't spread to other parts of the body. Is, is that that's correct, right? That is correct. And that is what we have been trying to achieve, is to try to stop the process of metastasis. Let's take a break. After the break, we're back with Dr. Salman Haider. Dr. Heider is professor in tumor angiogenesis and professor of biomedical sciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine and the Dalton Cardiovascular Research Center at the University of Missouri. Together with his team of researchers, Dr. Heider found that a combination drug therapy reduces the spread of triple negative breast cancer to other locations of the body by 50%. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov generic drugs. Generics are safe, 
effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncogene Brief. If you're just joining us, today in the Oncogene Brief, we talk with Dr. Salman Haider. Dr. Haider is Professor in Tumor Angiogenesis and Professor of Biomedical Sciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine and the Dalton Cardiovascular Research Center at the University of Missouri. Together with his team of researchers, Dr. Haider found that a combination drug therapy reduces the spread of triple negative breast cancer to other locations of the body by 50%. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. Dr. Haider, before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, different forms of cancer. We were talking about triple negative cancer. I think triple negative breast cancer, I have to uh, it's very uh, correct myself there. One of the concerns that we were talking about is the fact that a cancer, um, and that's the same thing with a triple negative breast cancer, can spread to other body parts, um, metastasis, yes. or uh, the fact that it, it can end up in other parts of the body. Now, that is yes. a concern. Is that, that's correct, right? That is a concern, especially with triple negatives, because once they, they seem to metastasize more often than most other cancers. And you've been looking at ways to find out how you can stop that process or at least how you can reduce that process. Absolutely. So because this is such a a deadly part of the whole process, we have been trying to see if we can actually not only stop the process of metastasis, but we have extended the study to see if we can actually kill the primary tumor cells also. But that's a different subject. But in terms of metastasis, absolutely, we are trying to determine how we can stop this process, which actually kills the patient. And that's not only triple negatives. It's it's generally true for all the different types of breast cancers. It's not the primary tumor that causes the death of uh, a person. It's it's actually the metastasis. In the triple negatives, the recurrence seems to occur a little bit more with more frequency than in other types of cancers. So hopefully we can achieve that and stop that process once the cells have metastasized from the tumors, which we are trying to see if we can kill them or stop their colonization into different parts of the bodies, especially the lungs. That is our model to study if we can stop the cells getting to the lungs of the patients. Now, one of the things is that um, often when you uh, 
ask people questions about um, their understanding of cancer. They are afraid that if you um, if if a cancer metastasized was spread to another body part, mm-hmm. it also becomes that particular form of cancer. So let me explain that. I mean, it's not uncommon that, uh, for example, in lung cancer, but there are other forms of cancers. Uh, a cancer may spread to the brain or may spread to other body parts in that respect. People are afraid that when that happens, for example, a cancer may spread to the brain, it becomes a brain cancer or brain tumor. Now, that is obviously not not correct. Um, correct. So tell me a little bit about uh, the effects of, of when a cancer spreads to another body part. Uh, how do you look at that? So... When, let's say, the breast cancer metastasizes to the lungs mm-hmm. or to the brain, it is still breast cancer. It's just a metastatic colony of breast cancer, the initial primary tumor. It's not brain cancer or lung cancer. It's, it's the cells which have gone through the blood vessels from the breast into the lungs or to the brain, and then they have colonized that area. So one, one of the things that we are trying to figure out is how to block that process. The cells have to actually migrate from the primary tumor into the blood vessels and then move in the blood vessels to the brain or to the lungs. Then they have to move out of the blood vessels and attach themselves to the brain or the lung. And there's another process that we are trying to uh, uh, diminish or trying to stop from happening. So the tumors remains as as metastatic cells of breast cancer. They're not brain cancer or lung cancer. It's not a new event. It's an old event that happened in the breast and it's now colonizing other organs in the body. Now, your study, um, and, and let's talk a little bit about the technical part or the, the, the science part of your study. Um, you uh-huh. looked at a, a protein called P53. Uh, I recall yes. um, we were talking a little bit before the program about this. I think in the mid-1990s, uh, people start talking about P53 as a potential target uh, to treat. Um, there was a lot of um, hype around that. And then it became quiet. It was all of a sudden uh, yeah. not so much news about it anymore. Now, you are looking again at P53, uh, that protein, and you're looking at mut- mutant P53. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the role of P53 and mutant P53 in the development of cancer and how you look at that. So that's a, actually a very interesting question because... For a long time, P53 was silent. Not too many people were talking about it. And the reason is that when P53 becomes a mutant protein, it actually does nothing. The actual wild-type protein or the normal protein kills the cancer cells or any cells that will become cancer cells. So, for example, we all have P53 in our cells. And if there's a stress, these proteins, they come up, they actually accumulate in your cell and kill the cell that is going the wrong way. And that's why, that's how it's, it prevents the formation of cancer cell. So it's called a tumor suppressor, P53. But what was shown some time ago was that these mutant proteins, they exist in the cell. They just don't disappear. They are there, but they're inactive. If you have the normal protein, the normal protein just disappears quickly until there's stress and it accumulates and it kills the cell. In the cancer cell, these accumulate, but they're inactive, and therefore they cannot kill the cancer cell. So what we have been thinking about, and others uh, uh, in, in the field, is how can we reactivate this mutant protein? It's like the cell is sitting with a gun you just and a bullet, and you just have to fire it. And that is what we wanted to do, was to try and reactivate this inactive protein 
to a normal protein where it can actually kill the tumor cells. That was that is the drug that we have been testing. It's called APR246 by a company called Apria AB in Sweden. They they manufacture this compound. And so we have been able to show that you can actually reactivate this protein and kill cells. And we have done that in hormone-dependent cells also. And now we're testing it in triple negatives. And we have shown that in triple negatives, it can actually stop metastasis. So it's a very important finding, I think. And and you combine that, uh, the, the combination of this, this, this drug, um, you combine that with an, an antibody. Yes. So this is an antibody that is very specific to tumor blood vessels. If we think about specificity, uh, you cannot give an antibody that is targeting every blood vessel in your body because that would be totally toxic. It just defeats the purpose. So there's a group in uh, University of Texas Southwestern, they came up with an antibody that only targets tumor blood vessels. So we thought what we can do, and tumor blood vessels are very important in the process of metastasis, right? As I, as I said before, the tumor cells detach from the breast, they go into the blood vessel, and then they go and attach to another area. But then they need, again, they need blood vessels to feed these colonies in order for them to become tumors again or, or expand. So the idea would be, can we combine the activator of P53 with tumor blood vessel killer, like the antibody, so that you don't only kill the tumor cells, but you can also slash the blood vessels so they don't provide any nutrients to the to the uh, actual colonies for them to grow. So that was the idea. And it proved very effective in terms of actually reducing the incidence of breast cancer. So both of these different drugs reduce metastasis. But when you combine them, uh, the triple negatives, only half of the animals in which we were testing these these drugs actually got metastasis. So 50%, in 50%, there was no metastasis to see. And that is in the duration that we studied for about a month or so. If we had gone further, maybe we could have killed almost all of the tumor cells. We don't know that. But that, those are the kind of studies that we are now going to continue in the area. Right. And and you rightly say these um, are in animal models. They're not necessarily in studies in humans at this particular moment. Um, that is correct. Now, my understanding is that uh, this drug called APR246 is, with some success, is uh, being tested in different forms of um, of cancers, in in, um, in leukemias and blood cancers. And what have been the results in that area? Okay, so uh, before we get to that, let me just clarify one point. The mice were, in our case, were receiving the human. So the, the cells that we were testing were the human triple negative cells. These were injected into mice, and they were the ones being treated, just to clarify. So these drugs have been tested. The APR246 has been tested in ovarian cancer, in prostate cancer, in hematological cancers like leukemia. They have been very effective. They have not yet been tested in breast cancer, but we would like this process to now um, go into trials, and we are hoping that in the future this will happen where, where APR246 with or without the 2AG4, which is the antibody, can be tested in humans, in human clinical trials. Let's take a short break here, and then we talk some more with Dr. Salman Haider. Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps, Others' huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. 
This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. Over the years, you've brought opioids into your home. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But holding on to opioids puts your family at risk. Learn more at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. Welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffman, and this is the Alcazine Brief. If you're just joining us, today in the Alcazine Brief, we talk with Dr. Salman Haider. Dr. Haider is professor in tumor angiogenesis and professor of biomedical sciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine and the Dalton Cardiovascular Research Center at the University of Missouri. Together with his team of researchers, Dr. Heider found that a combination drug therapy reduces the spread of triple negative breast cancer to other locations of the body by 50%. APR 246, it's been, uh, you mentioned that it has um, uh, had some success in different forms of cancer, into, including prostate and other forms of cancer, including hematological cancers. Um, yes. What have the results been in this area? Uh, the results have been very uh, encouraging in, in, in three different areas, in uh, prostate cancer, hematological cancer, and ovarian cancer. It seems as though it is working. I, I'm not 100% sure what the results are with ovarian cancer because they're not published yet. But in terms of prostate and hematological cancers, the results are very positive. A lot of these cancers have been actually treated, I think. With prostate cancer, it was just a phase one trial, I think, uh, in which they only test for the safety of the compound, and it appeared to be very safe in the range that they were testing. In uh, hematological cancers, I think they have taken it to phase two, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And ovarian cancers, I think they're just starting. Uh, they, it's, it's not there yet. But the results have been very encouraging. I think APRIA has been presenting it in various meetings at the American Association of Cancer Research and American Society of Clinical Oncology. And so the results are actually quite positive. But these are still early studies. Um, There is not really a drug on the market at this particular moment. These drugs are not on the market at the moment, no. Uh, These are early studies. And, you know, as you probably know, it takes a very long time for these drugs to come to the market, almost eight to 10 years from the discovery to the market, which I think is a rather long time, but, but that's what happens. Now, when you look at cl- the clinical trial process, it it's often takes a long time, as you mentioned earlier. What are some of the key things that you're looking for in this process? So the, the very first thing that you look at is safety. Is the compound safe to be given to humans? Uh, and that is called the phase one trial. You only uh, treat a very few number of uh, patients with this phase one trial. And then, you know, to, to get the patients together, that takes time. 
And then you go to the phase two trial uh, where you in increase the number of patients, increase the dosage if you have to, phase three and then phase four. After the phase four, then you begin to think about bringing the, the drug to market. Most drugs fail in phase two or phase three, so they have to stop it. But I think uh, APR246 has already crossed phase two. So I think it's in phase phase three trial now, where they're looking at how um, how this drug is actually treating actual tumors in patients. Now, again, those tumors are not triple negative tumors. They're treating prostate cancer and hematological cancer. So it takes a very long time from phase one to phase four to market. Uh, and a lot of, uh, of course, finance is involved in bringing these drugs to the markets. One of the reasons why they're so costly. Yeah, uh -huh. absolutely. So when you look at um, clinical trials, one of the terms that you often hear, and some of that is even in earlier phases of, of preclinical trials, uh, you, heard, you hear the term um, translational medicine. And often if you, if you look at the media, listen to uh, the mainstream media, there are a lot of explanations about that. Now, you're involved in translational uh, medicine. What does that mean? So translational medicine is where you take uh, an observation that you make in the laboratory, uh, like, for example, what we have done, and you go through these clinical phase trials and you take it to the bedside, to the patient. So that is basically a translational event from the lab to the patient in the hospital, to the bedside. That is what is meant by translational medicine. So it is literally translating it from a laboratory setting to something that can help a patient or an individual patient or groups of patients? Yes. So, for example, for APR246, it is already in, in phase two trial, and you can kind of call it translational medicine already because it's not, although it's not generally available, but it is taken to the bedside to see if it can work in a patient. If it becomes very successful, then obviously the translational process has been very successful. But just to go to the second phase is also quite a successful event in terms of translational medicine. It's just not available to the public at this time. Right. Now, another term, and you are probably very familiar with that, is when people start talking about personalized medicine. Um, yes. And um, you hear often people say, well, medicine should be personalized. It's the individual uh, that's being treated. So that's the person. Yes. But the meaning of personalized medicine in the case of, of, of treatments like you're talking about um, has a slightly yes. different meaning. Tell me a little bit about that. So, again, that's a very interesting point and a confusing point for many. So I will try to clarify. Uh, when you talk about personalized medicine, let's say, for example, there are two people in a room and one of them is given Lipitor for treatment of cholesterol because they know the blood cholesterol is high. And the other one is not given this because he doesn't need it or she doesn't need it. So that's personalized medicine. Precision medicine is where you go after a target in the cell, a specific target, precise target. And then, for example, in our case, you go after P53, or that is a precise target. So that is precision medicine, where you will only select from those who have tumors only those patients who have a mutation in P53 to be treated. So that's precision medicine. So there's a difference between the personalized medicine and precision medicine. And the link with, for example, targeted therapy has to do more with uh, precision medicine than it has to do with personalized medicine. That is correct. So if we go back to the personalized medicine and with the example that I gave you in terms of, let's say, people take Lipitor to lower their cholesterol level, 
if you know the specific target that that is present in the tumor, now Lipitor actually attacks what is known as HMG coa reductase. Now that is a specific target, but personalized medicine means we all have HMG coa reductase, but you're only treating one person with it, not the other. In precision medicine, we all have P53, but some patients have a mutant form. That mutant form is the one that can be targeted with APR246. So that is a very precise medicine. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but that is targeted therapy, precise targeted therapy. Yeah, it, it is, if I may, really focusing on the biological makeup of a patient rather than on, on the over, I mean, and, and using that information to help the patient uh, or treat the patient. That is correct. So a personalized medicine would be P53 activation. And of course, uh, what we are trying to do is to even enhance that by also killing the tumor blood vessels. So we have precise medicine. And over that, we also have further precise medicine by killing tumor blood vessels. A combination should be very productive. I think a very effective treatment strategy. Uh, and I hope that it will work in, in humans. At this point, we, the data that we have is all from in the breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer is all from uh, mice, but data from in prostate cancer is from humans, and it has already proved very effective. And we are hoping that in triple negative, our treatment will also prove very effective. And in fact, better than others if we combine the immunotherapy, the, the antibody part of it. Let's take a short break. After the break, we're back with our interview with Dr. Salman Haider. I'm Peter Hofflands. And this is the Younger Sim Brief. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful, pain-reducing prescription medicines. But most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Did you know that generic drugs are just as safe and effective as brand name drugs? Generics might look different, but they work the same way. And they can even save you money. Don't believe me? Ask your doctor or pharmacist. Or visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffman and this is the Yonkazine Brief. Our interview today with Dr. Salman Haider was recorded in Phoenix, Arizona in May 2019. Let me play a little bit of Duffel's Advocate here. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was listening to... Uh, somebody giving an interesting lecture about um, basically kind of eliminating the vascular as, um, um, to 
basically the blood vessels to cancer. And yeah. this person um, basically said, well, if you do that, it, it is basically you're, you're not only going to stop um, feeding the cancer, but there is a negative associated with that, that you also take away the road or the way in to give the medication that is needed to kill the cancer. So, so yeah. it, it may be something that may on one end seem very beneficial because you are kind of creating a situation that the cancer does not get fed. On the other end, right. um, you also make sure that the cancer does not get the drug to kill, to kill them. How do you right. look at what you're doing? How, how does that effect play a role? So what we are trying to do is to actually specifically target the tumor blood vessels, the blood vessels that are induced by the tumors. So tumors induce blood vessels to feed themselves. And if you can kill that blood vessel, it doesn't matter whether the drug reaches or does not reach the tumor, the tumor is going to die because it's going to lack oxygen, it's going to lack nutrients. So this person who was lecturing is right. But at the same time, now if you go specifically after tumor blood vessels only, um, and if you kill the tumor through limiting their nutrients and oxygen, nothing better than that. That's a pretty good drug in my in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So that that basically is the dif uh, the differentiation between treatment, uh, uh, what you're doing, and the treatment that more is more general in that respect. Yes, I think. Uh, Again, in, at present time, most cancers uh, cannot be treated by just one compound. You have to go into a, what is known as combination therapy. You have to go with two or three different targets. Now, you can go after two or, two, two or three different targets in a cell, or you can go after a target in a cell and around a cell. And so that's what we're doing is in the cell and then around the cell, which is the blood vessel. And so if you can target both, I think the effects are going to be much better than um, just going, because as you know, these tumor cells develop resistance. So if you target these tumor cells with compounds, they will ultimately become resistant to the compound. But if you can clear the blood vessels, nothing is getting into the tumors, so they're not getting any more uh, uh, nutrients, and, and you're killing the tumor cells right there. So when you when you look at um, the compound that um, you're developing or the combination drug that you're developing, what is your expectations uh, for doctors, for example, to see that this drug may become, um, of course, depending on the results of clinical trials, but uh, when this drug may be able to uh, be uh, available for two to three patients? So I think if, as, I, as we discussed before, in the triple negatives, it has not even been tested yet in the first phase, phase one trial. So once it is used in phase one trial, uh, I think we're looking at six or seven years before it, it it can come to market as a drug, combination drug to be given to patients. And of course, at that point, you have to also determine if the patient has triple negative, it has mutation in P53. 80% of people who have, uh, women who have triple negative breast cancers do have a mutant P53. So there's a big chance that uh, these drugs will become very useful for a very large population of triple negative breast cancers. But I don't think we're looking at uh, these drugs into the market for at least five, six years from now. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Research has shown that most people who die as a result of breast cancer, in particular women with triple negative breast cancer, do so following metastasis or spread of the cancer to other organs in the body.
As mentioned earlier in the program, triple negative breast cancer lacks ways to treat the cancer with hormone therapies or anti-HER2 targeted therapies. While chemotherapy can work well in triple negative breast cancer, and the patients with triple negative breast cancer may even respond better to chemotherapy than the patient with other types of breast cancer, chemotherapeutic drugs are generally toxic and nonspecific. Dr. Heider and his team wanted to see if a new combination therapy could provide a new, non-toxic, targeted approach for treatment. In a preclinical study with two previously discovered drugs, one that restores the P53 protein's ability to kill cancer, and another that targets the blood vessels in order to kill cancer cells, they observed an effect on metastatic triple-negative breast cancer. And according to the researchers, the results are promising. Dr. Heider noted that the cancer did not spread as fast when both drugs were given separately, and a little more with the combination of the two. And as said, the incidence of newly diagnosed cases of metastatic breast cancer was reduced by 50% when both drugs were combined. The two investigational drugs, APR246 and 2AG4, are currently in clinical trials. Researchers hope that the findings will help enhance personalized treatment for breast cancer by reducing existing cancer cells and prevent the spread of cancer to other parts of the body. This research highlights the power of translational precision medicine. If you have a question about cancer, how cancer is treated, as well as cancer diagnosis and prevention, please visit the website of the American Cancer Society at www.cancer.org. For more information about clinical trials and drug development and how new anti-cancer agents are benefiting patients, visit the website of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, www.asco.org. Here you can find more doctor-approved information. For us here at the Oncosine Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach with distribution via iHeartRadio, in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And your support made it possible that the program is now also distributed in Canada and Australia. And you can also download our program via iTunes. And you can listen to the Oncosimbre via Spotify and other streaming media. In Arizona, you can listen to the Oncosim Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. For more information about that, check our online journal Oncosine at www.oncosine.com. To help make this program possible, please visit our website and look for the Oncosim Brief. Here you can find more information about ways you can help support our program. And your support for this program is important. It allows us to bring you interviews with experts involved in the development of novel diagnostics and new treatments. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening, and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland. And this is the Onkers in Brief. The Oncosine Brief was produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer 
and distributed by Inpress Media Group. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncazine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.